Greetings in the precious name of Jesus. Uh, thank you, Quinn, for leading that, that uh, last song uh, that you led. Um, and I trust many of you thought about it was a song uh, uh, suggested for, to go along with the Sunday school lesson. Uh, and there's various parts of that song maybe that could go along with the Sunday school lesson. Maybe the most obvious one is that what you talked about in your class, adults and youth, uh, about uh, what Jesus knew about Nathaniel, proving that Jesus was God. And uh, so that's how that song, several things in that song say that, that God knows us already uh, better than we know ourselves. And uh, because he's God, he's all knowing. So uh, take that with you. Um, God knows you inside out. Uh, He knows you. You can't hide anything from him. Um, just for one one verse uh, to kind of somewhat say something or introduce the the message this morning uh, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 13 And it's verse 15, just that one verse. Hebrews uh, 13, 15. It starts with the word him. And of course, as you see, it's talking about Jesus as you look at the verses just before. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. You've heard Joshua speak from Hebrews various times, and Hebrews is the book of of better things. It's a contrast, the old and the new, contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant contrasting the old sacrifices and way of worshiping with the new. It uses an Old Testament word such as sacrifice in the verse we just read. To Jesus, let us offer the the sacrifice. That's an Old Testament word that they are very familiar with. How do we do that? In this New Testament time of praise to God continue. And how? That is the fruit of our lips. Not the beating on a drum. Not the playing of the piano. But the fruit of our lips. Giving praise to his name. Well, you need to know where I'm going. Okay. I want to share with you something that I had to share at these ministers meetings in Ohio back in October. Some of you saw the program. All of you had opportunity to actually see the program. I'm not sure why they printed it in the messenger, in the reporter, in the district reporter, but it was in there. You of ministry saw the program, uh, but uh, the the ministers' meetings in Ohio that were in October uh, for ministers from the Mid-Atlantic Midwest Fellowship and Southeastern Conference. And they asked me to speak on... uh, something about the, the history of musical instruments in the church. Uh, that's what they told me on the telephone. <laughs> then uh, in, in, their, in their program and in the reporter that some of you took time to read, it was called the development uh, of the use of musical instruments in the church. Um, now, you know, I had two 50 or 55 minute periods to share that big subject uh, at those ministers' meetings. Uh, we have 45 minutes here this morning rather than two 55-minute periods. So I'm going to talk fast sometimes. Sometimes I'll pause to try to figure out what to leave out, and uh, hopefully you'll you understand. Uh, maybe more uh, uh, a better title for our purpose here this morning would be something like this, The Case for Acapella Singing in the Public Worship of the Church. Now, the, the, the committee that planned these programs, uh, these ministers' meetings, suggested to me uh, a book 
that I happened to have. When the man talked to me on the telephone, he described his book. I said, I, I have a copy. And so that was <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I had seen it advertised some years ago, and I, and I guess I ordered it. I, I don't exactly know how I got it, but I think probably I ordered it in, in the mail from an advertisement. And then I realized that one time, some years earlier, I had picked up the same information in a regular eight and a half by 11 printing with a spiral binding. And so the man that wrote this book, that did this research, he's not an Anabaptist, uh, but there are other uh, individual congregations and uh, a couple of, uh, of denominations actually that practice a cappella singing not using instruments in, in, their, in their public worship. And so this is such a man. His name is John Price. He's from Rochester, New York. But he had, uh, did research, extensive, extensive research, and I'll tell you a little detail here in a minute or two. And so he had put all his research, he, he, he wrote it out, you know, in a readable way, and just put it in these loose leaf bindings eight and a half by 11, and had them available for people to, I guess, buy or something. I don't know where I picked it up, but I picked it up one time at some conference or something. There was some laying around for people to pick up or to buy, and I bought one. Well, then he, he did that. He published that and let that go out from him in, in 2002. In 2005, then he put it into actually a, a book. Apparently, there was enough demand for it. He changed the title. So in the first publication, he simply called it Musical Instruments in Worship, and then when he published it in the book, and uh, he called Old Light on New Worship, Old Light on New Worship, his concern being the, the way people are worshiping today, uh, they call it worship, they're just going through uh, motions oftentimes uh, in public in regular public worship, symbols of people worshiping um, <clears throat> with a, a bunch of noise, uh, and they call it worship. Uh, and so he said there's, there's, there's old light. There's light from God on how we should worship, have public worship. Uh, and we should take that, that light from God and apply it. To, to today on these new, new ways people are trying to worship. That's, I guess, why he chose the title, Old Light on New Worship. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so, you are well aware that there's much of use of musical instruments in the Old Testament. So, so we'll maybe if I can keep it in this arrangement somewhat, we'll look at instruments of music in the Old Testament. Then we'll look at the uh, the New Testament and early church practice, and we won't have a lot of time for that. But I'll say something hopefully, and then uh, and then the coming of musical instruments in, in the churches uh, in general. Um, as we look at the Old Testament, we will see that God decides and determines how he will be worshipped. Now, that's very obvious if you know much about the, the making, the creating of the, tab the Old Testament tabernacle. And that was so important, so significant to to uh, serious believers that, you know, I, I thought about it. even in, in summer Bible school when we used the old uh, Herald Press curriculum and some of you older ones will say, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, I'm not sure which grade it was. Uh, Miriam, you'd probably know because you taught, what, sixth grade often in summer Bible school, did you? Yeah. Was it in that grade where you punched out the little things and made the tabernacle or not? Maybe. Maybe you don't have to say yes or no, but it, it was probably about the fifth or sixth or seventh grade where we had these punch outs and we made a little tabernacle. God designed the tabernacle for, for, for use of the wandering Israelites in, in the wilderness. 
and and um, all of these pieces of furniture, all these trinkets, all these things, physical things, God designed and told them specifically how to make them and where to place them and how to go about worshiping him with them. The tabernacle of the, in the Old Testament in the wandering of the uh, the children of Israel. That tabernacle continued for some time and, and then you come to about King, King David and then they weren't, of course, before that even, they weren't wandering in the wilderness anymore. And then a, a permanent temple was built, still with many of these same pieces of furniture and articles and trinkets and stuff and various physical ways to worship. You could call it the regulative principle of worship. God regulates how he will be worshiped. By the way, when we don't, it's a word, you know, regulative or regulative. Uh, I, I would have called it regulative principle. I looked in the dictionary and it should be regulative, regulative principle of worship. God regulates how he shall be worshiped. In the Old Testament, God regulated the use of musical instruments in public worship of himself. We will see that. We will turn to some scriptures here in just a moment and see that God told them exactly what instruments to use and how to use them and who to use them and so forth like that. There's no record in the scripture of a musical instrument ever being used in public worship without an explicit divine command. Let me say that one more time. There's no record in the scripture of a musical instrument ever being used in public worship we're talking about in public, public worship without an explicit divine command. Three theological principles of worship, and that's this. Outward ceremonies and rituals of Old Testament temple worship have been abolished. If you forgot that, like Joshua would say, read Hebrews. I mean, because he's spoken from that book various times and contrasted the old and the new. It's, it's in the book of Hebrews if you want a quick study of that. Old Testament, outward, outward ceremonies and rituals of Old Testament temple worship have been abolished. Number two, the New Testament uh, church must look to Christ and his apostles for direction in worship. Does that make sense? New Testament church must look to Christ and his apostles for direction in worship. With that, unless I don't say it again, just think for one thing briefly about Jesus in, in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. The woman knew about Old Testament worship. The woman knew about where they worshipped and where the Jews worshipped. And Jesus said to her, woman, the time will come when neither in this place or, or this place or that place will you worship. But what will be important is worshiping in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> then thirdly, <clears throat> these three theological principles I'm suggesting here, <clears throat> we have no authorization to use musical instruments in the worship of the church since the Lord Jesus gave no command or example or indication of such use. <clears throat> but the Old Testament, he planned that just like he planned it, all the little parts and figures and, and, and trinkets and pieces of furniture and methods of the tabernacle, Old Testament tabernacle and temple. He said, this is the way it's to be done. Uh, I mean, if you haven't studied and read that recently, just take a, a couple of months to, to read Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers 
and some of the Chronicles and Kings of, of his commands of how they go about worshiping and, and the furniture and the trinkets that they were to use. And included in this was certain musical instruments at certain times for certain people. That was a command of God. Again, the Hebrews, we see by Jesus and the apostles, and it's recorded and condensed in a beautiful way in the book of Hebrews, that's old. And with Jesus, we don't worship in those, with those things of the Old Testament. We worship in spirit and in truth. I read that verse, sacrifice, let the sacrifice from us be, come from our mouths. Hebrews uh, 13, 15. <clears throat> Turn with me to Numbers chapter 10. <clears throat> the book of Numbers in chapter 10. <clears throat> We're looking at the the use of the trumpet commanded at the tabernacle. The first three verses, Numbers chapter 10, and the Lord, the Lord, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make, under that line in your mind, underline that word in your, in your mind if you don't underline it in your Bible. Make. Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece thou shalt make them, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. Wow, there's so much information in that verse 2 right there. And when they shall blow them, Blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 8. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets. And then uh, look at verse 10, part of verse 10. And in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, and so forth. Do you see how specific God was? It, it would be, teachers, you have to do something with your children sometime. Just tell them to take those few verses and write all the very specific exact things that God said to do with the trumpets. Make them. How many of them? Two of them. Out of what? Out of silver? Uh, how? How to make them? Don't make them two-piece trumpets, but one-piece trumpet. When it says of a whole piece, and, and some versions say of beat it, beaten, it means to beat it out of one piece. Don't put two pieces together. One-piece trumpet of a whole piece, thou should make them. And, and then it goes on to what's, what, what they are used for. And it says, who will use them in verse 8? The priests. Now, dear people, listen closely. You, you, you won't forget that because I'm going to repeat it two or three more times because we're going to read it two or three more times. Trumpets for the priests. Trumpets for the priests. Okay? Now, Moses. You know the story of Moses. You children know the story of Moses. He grew up with the Egyptians, right? He was found floating in the water in a basket. Mrs. Egyptian found him and took him in and, and raised him up. He was raised with the Egyptians. He would have known that there are many great variety of musical instruments to use, like the Egyptians would have had. He could have said, now God, wait a minute now, you're telling me to take the beat out of a piece of silver, just two trumpets in a certain way and so forth. Now, now, God, I, I tell you, there's so many other instruments that would work better and would be nicer. 
and would sound greater. (laughs) I mean, he knew that growing up with the Egyptians. No, no. God told Moses what to do, how to do it, and he did it. First Chronicles 16. Now we're, we're coming to the temple. <clears throat> First Chronicles 16. <clears throat> First six verses. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifice and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he uh, dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. And then you have a list of them there. And at the end of verse 5, with psalteries and with harps, but Asaph made a sound with cymbals. So there you have three more instruments that David brings upon the scene. We're going to see, though, as we look, that word came to David from God. We'll read it in momentarily. But three more instruments, the psalteries, the harps, and the cymbals. Verse 6. And you have these two priests with trumpets. Did did I just say you're going to see priests and trumpets again? Okay, here's the first time after we've read it the first time. Here's the second time. The priests with the trumpets. Okay, God said that to Moses back earlier. Verse 6. Chapter 23, 1 Chronicles 23, first uh, five verses. So when David was old and full of days, he made Solomon his son king over Israel, and he gathered together all the princes of Israel with the priests and the Levites. And now the Levites were numbered from the age 30 years and upward, and their number by their poles, man by man, was thirty and eight thousand, of which twenty and four thousand were to set uh, forward the work of the house of the Lord, and six thousand were officers and judges. Moreover, four thousand were porters, and four thousand praised the Lord with the instruments which I made. That's David speaking. I said we're going to see in a moment that God gave him wisdom and God gave him direction to 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 use these instruments which the with the instruments which I made said David to praise therewith now verses in the same chapter chapter 23 verses 25 and 26 verses 25 and 26 For David said, The Lord God of Israel hath given rest unto his people, and they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also unto the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle, nor any vessels of it for the service thereof. I'm simply reading that to help you see a change. Not the tab- we don't need the portable tabernacle anymore. We're going to build a temple. You know that David wanted to build a temple. God didn't allow him, but God allowed him to help the people prepare the materials for the temple. And then Solomon, his son, built the temple. <clears throat> Chapter 28. 1 <clears throat> Chronicles 28. <clears throat> Verse 11 to 13. 1 Chronicles 28-11. Then David gave to Solomon his son the pattern of the porch. Listen, where did he get that pattern from? We're going to see that God gave him wisdom. God gave him understanding. God gave him direction. 
And now David is passing this pattern on to Solomon. The pattern of the porch, and of the houses thereof, and of the treasures thereof, and of the upper chambers thereof. There was lots of things, lots of furniture, lots of trinkets, lots of things that were expected and commanded by God for public worship. And now David is passing on this pattern, these directions to his son. You see all the, in all the different areas that I just read there in, in verse 11. And of the inner parlors thereof, and the place of the mercy seat. Verse 12, and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. We're not done yet, but this is coming from God. The wisdom and understanding from God. We'll, we'll find more about that as we keep going here. The pattern that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and all the chambers round about of the treasuries of the house of God and the treasuries of the uh, dedicated things. The dedicated things, all these things, all these trinkets, all these pieces of furniture, the dedicated things. Um, Let me read one more verse, verse 13. Also for the uh, courses of the priests and the Levites and for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord. I mean, those three lines right there could include so many things, but that was part of the worship. That was part of the commanded Old Testament worship. And all the vessels of service in the house of the Lord. All the vessels. What all that included? Many things. Many trinkets. Many pieces of furniture maybe. Many, many things they used for different things. <clears throat> Verse 19. Verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. This was not just of David. This was by the Spirit of the Lord upon him. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles chapter 29. Three verses, 25, 26, and 27. Uh, I wonder how many of you are seeing where you are here. Do you remember our Sunday school lesson on October the 15th? Those of you that taught uh, adult and and youth, you probably do. Hezekiah, a most wonderful and godly king, he brought revival. The revival of King Hezekiah. That's what was our Sunday school lesson on October the 15th. You remember that. Of course, as you know, in our Sunday school lessons, we only have room for so many verses. And so these verses I'm reading right now, 25, 26, and 27, I don't believe were in our Sunday school lesson. But they were a part of the story. I'm sure they were in the scripture background. What did Hezekiah do? What was part of his revival? After the children had strayed away from honoring and worshiping God as they should, he brought back also the instruments that God had designed and commanded them to use. 2 Chronicles 29, 25, 26, and 27. Verse 25. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps. Hey, did you ever hear that this morning already? Okay, there's those three instruments that God had given by the Spirit, the wisdom for David to use and commanded to David to to cause to make them and and use them in, in the worship. King Hezekiah and his revival is bringing these back, reviving the people. We need to get back to the worship that God asks us to in the way that God wants us to. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's singer, the seer. David's pro- God's prophet Gad, it came from him. And Nathan, the prophet, God's prophet Nathan. So you have the prophet Nathan, the prophet Gad, and, and King David. 
the king of God, the prophets of God saying, look, King Hezekiah, you need to get back to where I, you started. You need, to get back, you need to be revived. You need to come back to the worship and worship in the way that I asked you to years ago. And part of that was bringing these instruments that he asked them to use. According to the command of David, Gad the, the king's seer, Nathan the prophet, for so was the commandment of the Lord by the prophets. That's what I just said. Verse 26. And the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the trumpets. <laughs> the instruments of David, those three instruments, and the trumpets of Moses, if you might say. Okay, we read that at the beginning. Those trumpets of Moses for the, well, you know who they're for. <laughs> Verse 27. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar and when the burnt offering began the sons of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David king of Israel that's so beautiful revival coming back to what God had designed for them doing specifically exactly what God asked them to do <clears throat> you want to see what's happening 550 years later Turn to Ezra chapter 3. Over just a few pages to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 10. This is 550 years later. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with, you guessed it, <laughs> the priests and their trumpets. I mean... <laughs> That's what God said to Moses many years before. The priests in their apparel with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. It don't have the other instruments listed here, but it has at least the cymbals and the ordinance of David. And, and lest I don't say it, we have various times in the Kings and Chronicles, uh, the ordinance of David, the David, the man of God, the instruments of David, uh, maybe another phrase or two concerning having to do with the instruments of David and said in, in various other phrases. You want to see what's happening? <clears throat> that was 550 years later. They were still using, say, worshiping the same way, using the same instruments that had been uh, as they had been asked to use many years before. <laughs> Fifty years later, Nehemiah chapter 12. A few more pages over to Nehemiah chapter 12. Um, verse 35. Nehemiah 12, 35. And certain of the priests' sons with... <laughs> Oh, there it is again. The priests and the trumpets, okay? That's verse 35. Now, look at verse 36. And you have the list going on, all these people. The end of verse 36. With the musical instruments of David, the man of God. I mean, it's being specific. Everybody knew. God told David to make and use these three instruments, these specific instruments, and to use them at certain times for certain in, in their public worship. And it just keeps on going. I just said that. The instruments of David, uh, the knowledge of David, uh, David the man of God, and so forth. Here it is again. With the musical instruments of David the man of God. Verse 36. Look at... This is many, you know, all these years later. That's, that's what I begin by saying. Now verse 45. Verse 45. And both the singers and the porters kept the ward of their God and the ward of the purification according to the commandment of David and of Solomon his son. Musical instruments in the New Testament. God still gives directions, commands, and has expectations. Including about our worshiping together. 
dear people, the uh, Jesus in the Gospels talks much about worshiping. The Apostle Paul in his writings talks much, much about our worshiping together in, in brotherhood. Peter talks about worshiping together. Um, for lack of time, I won't turn to Hebrews, but uh, you've heard Joshua preach from there various times. Again, you know, for your homework, you know, just read Hebrews and see the, the, how it contrasts, contrasts the old and how it's different than the new. And we're not using all those furnishings and, and, and furniture and, and, and trinkets and, and layouts and specific methods to go about it. We're not, we're not there anymore. Jesus has changed that. And the new covenant has changed that. I pointed out to you already that God gave direction and wisdom and the leading of the Spirit for Moses and David to do those instruments, to create those instruments, to instigate and command the use of those instruments. How's the New Testament so different? You can read in Romans 12, the gifts of the Spirit. You can read in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit. You can read in a couple other places about certain gifts of the Spirit. And no place will you ever read in the New Testament that somebody is gifted and has wisdom in the use of a musical instrument. There's many other gifts and much other wisdom given, but you'll never find in the New Testament that part of that gifting is how to use an a musical instrument or how to uh, perform with it in the public worship of the church. And yet, I've taken quite a few minutes already to show you how that was God's command in the Old Testament. Um, now, from the time of, the, of where the Old Testament ends, and, and you've studied this, even you, some of you younger ones have studied this maybe in some lessons in school, but most of you older ones at least know that from the time of the last prophets of the Old Testament to, to John the Baptist, our Sunday school lesson today, okay, was around 400 years. Sometimes that's referred to as 400 years of silence. I'm not sure that that's the best term to use, but sometimes that, that is used. <clears throat> um, God had, even though we may not understand all that, God understands, and God had a reason for that. Probably part of that 400 years of silence, if you want to call it that, is to prepare the people, just put it in simple terms, quick terms, to prepare the people for Jesus. I would suggest also it's probably to prepare the people for a different type of worship. Prepare the people to go from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it takes a while to get people to change, right? You understand that. Um, so now we have the word synagogue and the place of worship called the synagogue. It, uh, we won't take time to turn to it, but, but if you're taking notes, you can write. If you want to know something about local synagogues, rather than just going to one place such as Jerusalem... Just one place. God was pre preparing for brotherhood, gathering small gatherings on regular basis, like we're doing here this right now. Smaller groups gathering in regular times and doing it in what's called synagogues. So these two references you can write down. Luke 4.16. Jesus on the Sabbath day, as his custom was, went to the synagogue. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, as the custom was, went to the synagogue, the local synagogue. Not to the temple in Jerusalem, but to the local synagogue. That was Jesus' example. Luke 4, 16. Another one. Acts 15, 21. 
The early church did, they went to the synagogue every Sabbath day. They worshiped in the synagogue every Sabbath day. Historians will help us see that they did not use musical instruments in the synagogues. I, I already said it's 400 years from the time of the last Old Testament prophet until Prophet John the, John the Baptist. He said he's not a prophet, but until John the Baptist, we'll just call it. We don't, I, I, we don't have time to go into all the things that may have happened in that time, but they were worshiping down local synagogues, and historians say the musical instruments were not used. Ch changes were taking place. God was preparing his people for the new covenant for Jesus, the Lamb of God. Um, there's silence in the New Testament on musical instruments in worship. <clears throat> the early church fathers, <clears throat> what's the early church fathers? It's a term that's used. <clears throat> so you have the early church in the book of Acts, and you have the 12 apostles, right? You understand that. Well, then, of course, they died or were martyred, most of them. And then the church leaders after them are normally referred to as the early church fathers. The early church fathers, uh, of course, I already said, Jesus didn't talk about instruments, didn't promote instruments. Uh, the apostles didn't promote instruments. The early church fathers rejected and opposed the use of musical instruments in the church. Um, <clears throat> I didn't tell you, but this little book, it's 250 pages long. You want to know the research this man put into here? You know the bibliography? Uh, high school, you, you know what bibliographies are, right? Bibliographies? Okay. It, it's all, it's all the, the recording in the back of the book where you got your information. Where did he get his information for all this? We got it from other places. It didn't just think out, out of his head, okay? So he went to many, many different places. It's called the bibliography, all these places he went to. You know how many entries are in the bibliography of this little book? 150. Exactly, I counted them. 150 entries in the bibliography of this little book. That's ex how extensive his research were, was. <clears throat> Furthermore... Names of men and groups of men that agree with him on this principle of no musical instruments in the New Testament church. You know how many there are? Men and groups of men? 90. <laughs> Total of 90. Um, <clears throat> he has them listed as early church father. He has them listed according to... Uh, Chronologically, early church fathers, the reformers, the Puritans, and more recent men. Uh, there's 21 men or groups of men listed as early church fathers. I'll just name a few of them. Ambrose, Augustine, Clement of Alexandra, uh, Gregory of the Great, uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Jerome, uh, Justin Martyr. Then we have the reformers. These are all people that, that said too, no, no instruments in the New Testament church. The Reformers, uh, Bohe Bohemian Brethren, there's 29 of them here, I'll just read a few. Another one, uh, John Calvin, uh, Erasmus, uh, John Huss, John Knox, Minnow Simons, John Wycliffe, Hudrick Zwingli, then he lists the Puritans, 30 Puritans, of whom include, are included here, uh, John Bunyan, John Danforth, Samuel Danforth, Matthew Henry, John Owen, and Isaac Watts. And then he has a list of 10 more recent men. These would be men that lived in the last 100 to 150 years. We don't have time to go through <coughs> uh, how the instruments start coming back into the church. Uh, that it didn't happen overnight, and it happened with much 
uh, it, it, it happened with very much difficulty because you had all these men of old that said, no, according to the scriptures, we should not have instruments in the church. But yet, you know how people are. They slowly and slowly came back in. I want to conclude then. I'll read you an article that takes uh, five or six minutes, and, and I could stop and make a few comments. Well, I have to make one or two, but it might take seven minutes. <laughs> Don't time me on that. <laughs> uh, and, and then we'll look at maybe just two scriptures, and then we'll close, okay? Article by Alice Parker. Many of, any of you that have did much choral singing have sung arrangements by Alice Parker. As uh, far as I know, she's still living. She would be about 90, couple, 98 or 99 years old, if I understand right. Uh, <clears throat> she became well-known by arranging a lot of music back in the 50s and 60s for the Robert Shaw Chorale. Uh, <clears throat> the fact is that she ran across the Mennonites back in 1961, I think it was. She was asked to come to a Mennonite assembly to help with some of their... Uh, young people singing or, or a special music camp. Yeah, they had a music camp. <laughs> they call it Family Music Week. And she was asked to come, and she said, that event changed the direction of my life. And after that, she wrote at least four major, major choral works based on Mennonite themes. She, uh, <clears throat> she arranged music uh, from... Uh, <clears throat> Joseph Funk of Singer's Glen, the Mennonite Joseph Funk that, that wrote songbooks, published songbooks. She arranged music from him. Uh, the old uh, Mennonite school teacher in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, Christopher Dock, she wrote and arranged uh, music for poems that he wrote. I'm talking about Alice Parker. That's her connection with the Mennonites. Well, <clears throat> let me read. So... Western Pennsylvania, in the mountains of Western Pennsylvania, <clears throat> there's a, a big church camp, a summer camp, church camp, <clears throat> and they used to, years ago, it was called Laurelville Mennonite Church Center, and they had a music week there uh, sometimes in the summer for family music week, they called it, and she was invited there. This is what she said. <clears throat> She, this article she entitled Singing Mennonite, she was, I guess, asked to write this for the old Mennonite publication called the Gospel Herald. Okay, so this was published in the Gospel Herald in the middle 1980s. Singing Mennonites by Alice Parker. I will never forget my first arrival at Laurelville Mennonite Church Center for Family Music Week in July 1961. In the dining hall, after a brief grace, one voice began without announcement a familiar hymn. On the second note, the entire room joined with the most beautiful four-part hymn singing I had ever heard. I hear it in my mind's ear to this day. It gave me a vision for what hymn singing must have been in days past and could be again in days to come. How could the singing of a group of people in the mountains of western Pennsylvania strike my ear so memorably? I think I had subconsciously assumed that there was an unbridgeable gap between the, what amateur singers could do, particularly church congregations, and the sound of highly trained professional choruses. It had never occurred to me that a tradition of unaccompanied singing, along with a natural free voice production and a love for an understanding of the text, could add up to the kind of sound I was hearing. <clears throat> a rich sound. My first impression was confirmed in the next years as I came to know several Mennonite congregations and was always rewarded with that same rich sound. Of what was it composed? And she mentions five things here that that rich sound was composed of. Number one, a true function. The voices supplied all the music for worship. Each voice was needed and appreciated. Young and old together, the congregation was literally united, bound together in singing which expressed their deepest beliefs. Number two, what was it composed of? Number two, the strength of the tradition. 
in which a child grew up in the midst of part singing. The parents taught melodies and harmonies as well as words and beliefs as they sang at home and in church. Number three, the quality of the ensemble singing. The listening which made beginnings and endings come exactly together, the text clear and expressive, and the pitches well-tuned and in balance. Number four, the frequent appearance of duets, trios, and quartets, singing hymns as special music, afforded opportunities for individuals to practice carrying a voice part alone. And number five, the frequent use of song leaders who, in addition to announcing and starting the hymns, provided visual and audible examples of adults who loved to sing. This also gave valuable lessons in conducting to anyone who tried it. But first was the sound. <clears throat> I had read about and heard groups of shape note singers who sounded authentically primitive, raw, even ugly voices, bursting with energy. How could these singers sound so different? It had to be the result of unbroken tradition sustained by truly musical leaders in each generation. Good singing begets good singing when the chain is not broken. Another indelible Laurelville memory, pictures and evening worship time. A quartet was singing with a beautiful blend of voices. The stairs to the balcony were crowded with children, faces intent on the singers, caught in the mood which embraced us all. They must have been thinking, when I grow up, I'm going to sing like that. Consider for a moment what happens when the chain is broken. The introduction of a piano or organ divides the responsibility for the sound between the voices and the instrument, lessening the need for total congregational involvement. Keyboard instruments are not good models for singing. They produce sound very differently, not accounting for words or breathing or the subtle turns of phrasing that's natural to voices. When parents stop singing, the children don't start. When the song leader disappears, the model is gone. When a group gets used to following a piano or organ, the ensemble skills disappear. Listening to each other is no longer important. And when the choirs and soloists drain the good voices from the congregation, it cannot find its own voice, which is the sound the United Church makes from all its people. She ends by saying, beauty and belief. The scenario above is found all over the country. Our popular culture breeds a passive audience demanding to be entertained preferably by professionals in songs which reflect the lowest common denominator of words and music. Mennonites have never been noted for accepting the popular culture, knowing their own history Believing that they are a people set apart, they have succeeded in preserving many values which the rest of the world seems to have lost. The hymn-singing congregation which combines beauty with belief is part of that heritage. That sound at Laraville changed the direction of my life. How many others still have a chance to hear it? Those singers rejoice daily in the fact that God gives us ears, voices, and the gift of music. May they long continue to return a worthy offering in song, which opens every heart and unites every voice in prayer and praise. I said two scriptures, and we'll close. Turn with me to um, 
Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. See, we will do our best in worshiping, including the singing, of course. When we are open with each other, when there's no secrets, when we don't hide things, when we're a brotherhood that, that works like this. And so, say, I really need to read the whole chapter, but of course I won't. But let's just, let me show you a good starting point in the things I just for the things I just said, it would be maybe verse 9. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Lie not one to another. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll never get anywhere if we're secretive and if we're not telling the truth to each other in our general lives, you know. Okay, but with that and all the things in between and even the things before, of course, we come down to... <clears throat> I'll just start at verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You see, all that's leading up to verse 16. And it won't happen well in verse 16 if we haven't been living in the first 15 verses of that chapter. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then just turn back to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Um, again, you could look at a number of verses before you get to verse 19. And uh, you know that, that get us ready for verse 19. But I'll just start at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves, that means speaking to one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> Let's uh, close with a, with a song, uh, Brother Song Leader, if you'll come and lead us. <clears throat> you can turn to number 327. Number 327.